Well, Merry Christmas. People are asking me all the time, you ready for Christmas? You know, I still don't know what that means. Uh, one guy said, you're, you'll be ready when your wife tells you that you're ready. And I thought, that is the answer right there. When my wife tells me that we're ready, I'm ready. Well, the topic today is Matthew chapter one, and the beginning of the Christmas stories co- comes with an announcement that a baby is expected. Now I wanna just take a little break from that and I wanna show you a picture of my daughter and son-in-law, Holly and Kevin Roy, and I'm finally able to announce that we are expecting another baby. This is our third grandchild and we're so excited. They told me weeks ago and I have had the hardest time to not tell people And then some people bring up conversations and I'm not sure if I should confirm what they're suggesting or deny it. And so it's been a tough, it's amazing how expecting a baby brings such great joy and excitement to a family. The world will never be the same. This baby's gonna change us, change the world. It's a beautiful thing. So congratulations to Holly and Kevin who are actually in the service today. And uh, we couldn't be happier. Now, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter one, the Christmas story begins like this, beginning in verse 17. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, if you read through the Gospels, you're gonna discover that there are miracles after miracles after miracles taking place in the life, in the ministry of Jesus. Some scholars said there's probably around 35 miracles. People were being healed from leprosy. The blind were were given their sight. The lame were able to walk. Jesus could take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands and thousands of people. There were miracles supernatural things occurring all the time. You know, a miracle is something that can only be explained by divine intervention. Without God, it simply could not occur. Never did God move in so many supernatural acts as he did at the arrival and the life of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur says this, though. The greatest miracle in human history is the miracle of the incarnation, God becoming a man, God supernaturally planting a seed in a virgin woman who brought forth a child who was 100% 
man and 100% God at the same time. The virgin-born God-man, the incarnation, that is the greatest miracle of all miracles, and that miracle is the centerpiece of, of miracles that then, then happened afterwards. Now, what is the incarnation? The incarnation is simply this, that God supernaturally put a, a child in the womb of Mary. This had never happened before. What was going on? God broke into our fallen, broken, and sinful world. He was gonna make a change. He had begun the work of redeeming all things, and he would do this through the child that she carried. The reality is, you and I live in a broken world. Never before had God entered into the existence of mankind like he did in the incarnation. Through the womb of a faithful Jewish girl, God came to us. The baby was gonna make all things right. He would bring the kingdom of heaven to us. Heaven broke into the world that we lived through the womb of Mary. God literally became human. While God may have appeared in bodily um, forms in other stories in the scripture, he had never become truly human. This time, he is born, and he lives, and he dies. The incarnation is incredible. Tim Keller, in his commentary on the incarnation, says that there's, there's a couple um, responses. One is the response of the Eastern religions to the idea that God would become a man. And their response is basically this, not necessary, no need. All of us have a part of God in us. God is everywhere all the time in this present world. We don't need an incarnation of God because he is already here. But the problem with that approach is that you and I live in a fallen world. Separate from the glory of God, everything around us is falling apart. Things around us are going bad. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The idea of being in the glory of God, in proximity to God, living in, in harmony with God is to allow the life-giving uh, Spirit of God at, to be at work everywhere around us, but that's not where we live. The fallenness has taken away the glory of God. Our houses are falling apart. Did you know that? That's why you have to have maintenance. The food that we prepare spoils if you leave it out on the counter, and even if you put it in the refrigerator, it just spoils a lot slower. Our bodies are growing old and falling apart. Does anybody want to give a testimony? Don't. I, I, honestly, I come to church and for years I meet with some of our wonderful senior saints and they say things to me like, Pastor, you won't understand what I'm about to tell you, how my knees hurt, my back hurts, and, but you will. And they're right. That's the world that we live in. Things fall apart. In Genesis chapter three, we see where this all started. Humanity started to disobey God, and as, they, as Adam and Eve separated from, the, from God, 
They lost the paradise of God. It was a catastrophe of great proportions, separation, separate from the presence of God. Things begin to fall apart. In the fall, corruption of all things began. Death came upon all of humanity. Something inside our souls changed. We no longer were guided by the truth and righteousness that comes from God. We now, we're so determined to do our own thing and create our own world. We easily embrace sin and corruption. We, be, we begin to love ourselves more than we love other people. And this love of self, this is the way we are. Our default position is selfishness. I mean, you could punch the person beside you and say, I know your default position is selfishness, but that probably wouldn't be a good thing to do. But it's true. Selfishness, the, it brought relational conflict. It brought wars, crime, murder, stealing, false witness, relational tensions, sexual sins that were turned into a weapon of war. We have developed a culture of death that insists on killing children in the womb because they're getting in the way of our life plan. We consider abortion a right, um, and, and we devalue the, the worth of human life according to the World Health Organization. I'm not talking about some pregnancy care center. This is the World Health Organization. They report that every year in the world, there are around 73 million intentional abortions. That corresponds to about 200,000 abortions a day. I mean, humanity has fallen. Interestingly enough, as we begin the story of salvation and Christmas, it begins in the womb of a young lady. Our story begins in the book of Genesis. They were in the paradise, Adam and Eve, and the serpent, the serpent comes and says to Adam and Eve, they're not, God is not telling you the truth. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the middle of the garden that you're not supposed to eat of, uh, you, you say that if you were to eat of that, God said, you will surely die. The serpent says, oh, but you're not really gonna die. And then he accuses God of holding out on them. And he says, actually, if you were to eat that fruit, you would be able to determine right and wrong for yourself. In fact, you could create your own world order. You could create a better world than God can create. And this is the lie. This was the deception. And Eve took the fruit and she ate of it. And she handed it to Adam and he willingly ate of it as well. You know, um, throughout all of history, the most banned book is the Bible. And in our culture nowadays, the Bible is often said to be a dangerous book and not suitable for children to read in, in libraries. It's too dangerous. But the truth is, the same issues are going on. God, through the scripture, has declared to us what are the right ways to live. I mean, how many stories do we hear of people 
who made up their own path only to reap disaster that affects them and the people around them. That's still our temptation. The woman ate the forbidden fruit and then something happened. Her eyes were opened and she felt something she had never felt before. She and Adam, they were ashamed because they felt their nakedness. They had never felt ashamed before. And then they heard the voice of God, God calling, and they were afraid. They had never felt afraid before. They had disobeyed God. They were feeling their nakedness, and they were afraid to to talk to God, to be in his presence. And then immediately, even in that first few chapters, Adam and Eve they begin to experience what they had never felt before, and that was relationship conflict. When they were confronted with their sin, they began to blame each other and to blame the serpent, because actually, if you read Genesis chapter three, nobody was guilty of any wrongdoing. It might have been God who was guilty. That's what it says. Relational conflict begins, and the history of the world is driven by this sinful, this, this selfishness in, in ourselves, to satisfy our cravings at the expense of other people. It was jealousy between two brothers that led to the first murder. This was the beginning of wars. And through those wars, death and evil upon evil caused the the destruction in terrible proportions. World War I, for instance, World War I, 37 million people died. In World War II, 60 million people died. In the history of our country alone, the inhumanity of the slave trade and an economy built on slave labor led to the Civil War where 620,000 people died. Americans all fighting each other. This is a fallen, broken world. One of the harshest reality is that everybody dies. I hate that. You know, I do a lot of funerals. And I feel the sadness and the grief in those moments. And for those families, their world will never be the same. Families are separated by death locked into a sadness and a sense of loss that often never completely goes away. And then this baby was conceived in the womb of an obedient, faithful Jewish girl of the Holy Spirit. He was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. This baby was 100% God and 100% man. And you say, that's impossible. Absolutely. It's absolutely impossible. But this was the act of God, his effort to save the world. And Jesus changed the world. Matthew 4, 16. This is how it describes the work of Jesus. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. I mean, can you just imagine? There is hope. 
Death doesn't have to have the last word. The deceiver was our enemy. And he was destroying the people that God loved because it was his intention to destroy. In Genesis chapter 3, while God speaks to the serpent after the fall, this is what he says to the serpent. And what I love is how the Bible, all the way back at the beginning, tells us the plan of action for the rescue of human beings, okay? It says this, as God speaks to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what, what, what's going on here? This is gonna be the point of rescue. The woman's seed, notice it was a virgin who conceived. It, it, there, was, there was no man involved. It was the seed of the woman. It was so precise. He would be the child of God and this woman. And he would bruise the head of the serpent. How do you kill a snake? You crush his head. And in the process it says that his heel would be bruised. And Jesus, the son of God, as he fought the devil on the cross, himself would die only to rise again on the third day. But this was the plan. This baby would fight the fight for our salvation. And you're gonna call him, you're gonna call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, there, there, the world that we live in here is not the world we want, really. I mean, in this world, things grow dimmer and dimmer. In the kingdom of heaven, things get brighter and brighter. In this world, things fall apart. In the kingdom of heaven, things come together. In this world, we get weaker and weaker. But in the kingdom of heaven, we will grow stronger and stronger. Can you imagine what it's gonna be like in the kingdom of heaven to experience things getting brighter, things getting stronger, things coming together and staying together? We all long for this place. We long for a place of peace. We long for justice and kindness and forgiveness and grace. We long to live in a place where we don't die, where death doesn't destroy our families, where our families can stay together and our love isn't compromised or destroyed. Tim Keller quotes C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis has, has this statement in one of the uh, books he's written. He says, fish do not feel out of place in water. They never feel wet. Can you believe that? The fish doesn't say to the next fish, man, it's pretty wet down here. No, they don't even feel it. You and I, when we get wet, we feel wet. 
The reason fish don't feel wet is because they were made for the water. The reason you and I long for a place where there is peace, there's reconciliation, where love prevails and no one dies is because we were made for that world, not this world. And when the virgin conceived, she brought forth a son and his name is Jesus. And he was gonna save us from our sin. Now for many, the idea of an eternal, transcendental, all-powerful God becoming a man, even becoming a baby, a single cell in a womb that developed into a baby that was then born and as a baby needed to be hugged and needed to be cared for and, and needed to be to be swaddled because a baby is vulnerable, to think that God became that vulnerable? I mean, how in the world can that happen? That's the mystery of the incarnation. This is a God who comes down to us, who becomes one of us, who knows exactly what you and I experience when we live this life down here. And some would say, what kind of a God is that who would come so low? Well, here's what I have to say. Who is the greatest? The person who is so great they won't bother with the children or the great person who will get on the floor with the children and look them into their eye, look, look into their eyes and talk to them? Who's the greatest? I would dare say it's the one who could step down and come close. This is Jesus. Jesus comes to look us in the eye, to hear what we have to say, and he responds by saying, I know. I know what it's like to be a vulnerable child. I know what it's like to need a mother and a father to take care of me. I know what it's like to experience pain and suffering. And this is one of the biggest problems of mankind, pain and suffering. For the atheist, pain and suffering, it makes no sense. I mean, you know, you, you live, you die, and you rot. I mean, that's the end of the story for the atheist. They can be all, why would they be upset that there's pain and suffering? There's no context or there, there's, there's no greater framework for them. And then there are some people that say, well, if God is so powerful, why doesn't he just snap his fingers and destroy all pain and suffering? Well, the reason is because if he destroyed all pain and suffering, he'd destroy all of us in the in the process, because you and I have caused a lot of pain and suffering in the lives of people around us. And it's, I hope I'm not just the only one who is willing, willing to make that true confection today. So what did he do? He became one of us, and he endured pain and suffering in order that he could put it away. And on the cross, Jesus endured the most unimaginable pain in suffering and humiliation. He was unjustly treated, unjustly tried, unjustly executed. Why did he experience all of that? Because he came down to take it for us so that in his death, 
And in his resurrection, he could make all things right. Jesus had come as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. I love Isaiah 53. I find it so fascinating that a prophet writes a commentary to help us understand why Jesus came and what he was doing that helped the disciples as they watched him hang and die on a cross. And this is what he says. He, speaking of this baby that would be born, Isaiah talks about the baby that would be born. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, honestly, as I was writing this, I, like, I know that verse, right? I'm trying to, like, not just be so familiar that it doesn't have an effect on me. So I sat in my office and and I just went like this. I put my hand on my chest. And I, I just said, God, um, you know I have transgressions. And you know I have iniquities. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that you were wounded for these I thank you that the chastisement of my peace was upon you and actually your stripes, they heal me. So I don't want you to please hear me ask you to forgive me. And I acknowledge that you are the Son of God who has come to change the world and to change me. And so I want to receive you. And I really did this. You know, I look for ways to kind of like get it into me. You could try that now. Why don't you? Come on. God, you, you know my transgressions. You know my iniquities. You know my grief and my sorrow. And you came. You got down on the floor and you looked me in the eye because you are Emmanuel, God with us. And I need you to forgive me as only you can. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You know, one of the things he also did was Jesus came, and he interacted in a very real way with the death of his family members and his friends. And in John 11, we see Jesus who comes to the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, who has died. 
and his sisters are weeping, and others are weeping, and um, he, he comes to the sister, and he says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So the question is, do you? Do you believe that the resurrection of Jesus can be the last word? Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and the Bible says that he just weeps. Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. And he cries out in anger against death. I believe he's been at every funeral. And God, who knows, this was never the plan. He weeps. He weeps at every graveside service. And he says, I've come to get you. And in Revelation 21, it says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth that passed away. Okay, so wh where we are right now, this has got to go. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. Emmanuel. He will dwell with them. He shall be, they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is why he broke through. And in the womb of this young woman that we know, her name is Mary, God came. And he looks at us today and he says, eye to eye, I came for you. Will you receive me? Um, uh, I got a phone call. We, you know, we have kids and grandkids in California. And Tiffany, my daughter, uh, told me that she went with her brother and the family to an outdoor mall in Los Angeles called The Grove. Famous mall, at least, for, if you live in L.A. And so look at this picture. In the mall, they have all kinds of things going on, but they had this Santa house, a big bright red house in the middle of the mall. It's an outside mall. And she said there were lots of people waiting in line because guess who's inside of that? Santa. And if you'll pay 60 bucks and wait in line for a long time, 
you could actually get a picture with Santa. And Eleanor loved the idea, but they didn't want to wait in line or pay the 60 bucks. So Aunt Tiffany decided she was going to sort of appease, you know, little Eleanor. She picked her up. She said, hey, let's just go look in the window. Maybe we can see Santa from the window. And they did. And then Eleanor said to her, Auntie, he see my face. She couldn't believe it. She didn't just see Santa. Santa saw her and she was so excited because Santa saw her. Just so you know, Santa is not the savior of the world. He's a fun guy. But what I want you to know is how excited she was to be seen. I'm going to tell you, Jesus sees you today. He knows everything you're going through. And he understands. He understands it all. And he says, you know what, if you will come to me, you know, all of those iniquities and transgressions that you're aware of, I, I'll, I know about them too, so I, I paid for them on a cross, and I'm, if, you, if you give me all of your sin, I'm gonna make you righteous. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says something else is gonna happen. The Holy Spirit will come in, and if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't happen then, it happens now. It can happen right now. and. We can walk in the spirit and experience the presence of God, this God who is Emmanuel, who came to save us, to be with us. This is something to celebrate. Can I ask you to bow your heads if you would please?